Hello, welcome to our audio Bible study. This is lesson one out of 25 lessons, and I pray that this entire series will help you know more about the God of the Bible. God bless and enjoy the series. Can we trust God? God being the God of the Bible. Now, if a person has no first-hand knowledge of God, how can God earn that person's trust in the first place? I mean, to push back against the arguments of those who challenge the Bible as being an unreliable source of information or even false, God must first demonstrate that the Bible is worthy of complete confidence. How so? Well, by showing that it is historically true and it is accurate. And in the Bible, God does exactly that. And today we are going to explore one such prediction. Now, there are hundreds of predictions in the Bible, and 80% of all the predictions have already come true. Now, by any odds, by any odds, if 80% of it has already come true, then the chances of the balance of 20% is going to be highly, highly probable. Given all that, let's explore just one particular event that God has predicted or the Bible has predicted. And this is to do with the formation of Europe, but more importantly, what is going to happen to Europe in the future? Well, a simple question. How does God demonstrate that he can be trusted? Well, by simply showing that he can predict the future events before it happened. That's that's simple as that. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. In there, it says, and I quote, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none other like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that are not yet done. Essentially, what Isaiah has said, or the Bible has said, that God, there's no other one like him, and he declares the end from the beginning. In other words, that he can tell the end before it's even starting. Let's look at one such prediction. And this is seen in the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar and his story can be seen in Daniel chapter 2. And in this story, the Babylonian king, as King Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. And that dream really troubled him. That's he, he lay awake all night or awake at night and he knew he had a dream of something of great importance, but he couldn't remember the details of the dream and didn't know what it meant. Daniel chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Unquote. In essence, you have this king who's built this great, beautiful empire. And one day, on one night, he had a dream that caused him sleepless nights and caused him anguish because he can't remember the dream. So what does a good king would do? King Nebuchadnezzar would say then, 
what he did in the Bible, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10, he called all his, all his counselors together and asked them to interpret the dream for him. In fact, asked them what the dream was. Daniel chapter 2, verse 10 says, that I quote, the, Chal the, uh, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. In short, what the king did was he's saying, Well, you tell me what I dreamed because I can't remember what it was. And on top of that, not only do I want you to tell me what, you dream what I dreamed about, but I also want you to interpret that dream for me. Now, this is a real test to his holy people. And even that, to make things even more challenging, the king also said, and he was angry, the king said, "You well, make sure if you can't do it, I'm not going to be too nice to you. In fact, I'm going to literally be killing you. Look at killing you. Look at Daniel chapter 2 verse 12. It says, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious, meaning that they, the, the smart people, the holy people said, we can't do anything about it until you tell me what you've dreamed about. But the king was just too smart because he doesn't, this is too important for his holy men or his um, counselors to fool him. So he says, you tell me what I dreamed and I want you to tell me what it meant. meant. Daniel 2 chapter 12 says, for this reason, the king was very angry and very furious, and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon if they didn't tell him what his dream was, and if they didn't interpret his dream. Now, this death sentence has serious implications for Daniel, because Daniel was one of the wise counselors, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or, or otherwise also known as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Although they were faithful followers of God, they were included in this Nebuchadnezzar's inner circle of very wise men. Now this death sentence given to the wise men meant Daniel and his friends would also die if they don't tell the king Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamt and also interpret that dream. Now having heard that charge, what did Daniel do? Well, look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to his friends, his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret or concerning this dream or this charge. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 19, it then also said in the Bible that then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So what Daniel did was he spoke to his friends, shared the concerns we have with them, and they approached the God Almighty to help them. And what did God do? In Daniel chapter 2, verse 19, God revealed to Daniel in a vision for him. Having given the permission by the king to take time to consider the king's dream, Daniel and his friends must have prayed to the God of the Bible who would reveal the dream to them. And what did God do? God did. See, remember, God answers prayers. Now that Daniel has his answer from God, what did Daniel do? Well, of course, what would you do? you would almost immediately 
make an appointment with the king and tell him what the God Almighty had told you, wouldn't you, if you were Daniel? Well, that's exactly what Daniel did. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. I quote, He went to the king and said, You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. Unquote. Well, of course, can you imagine how surprised King Nebuchadnezzar would have been? Not only did Daniel tell him what he had dreamt, but Daniel was also going to interpret that dream. Now, none, none of the counselors or soothsayers in Babylon has ever done that. Daniel did. Of course, unsurprisingly, Nebuchadnezzar, he at that time was an idol worshipper. Remember, he never believed in the God of the Bible. He was an idol worshipper. He actually dreamt of a large image made of metals. So then the king, of course, said, well, he tested Daniel a little bit more. Well, you tell me what it means. Well, not only was the king demanding what he had dreamt from Daniel, now he's demanding what it means because, more importantly, that was exactly what bothered Nebuchadnezzar, what that dream meant to him. Well, look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 32 and 33. In the Bible it says, and this was what God had told Daniel, I quote, The image's head was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its bellies, thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and clay. And then Daniel went on to describe what happened to this great image. Daniel chapter 2 continues in verse 34 and 35. I quote, You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And it continued, and the stone had stuck the image became uh, the stone that had struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Unquote. Now what basically Daniel told the king that a supernatural rock would hit the image. Well, supernatural rock being it's not made out of hands. Not on his golden head, but on its feet of iron and clay. The rock would then take the place of the image and fill the earth with its presence and power. Right. Now this is what Daniel had said, what the king had dreamt about. Now it's time for interpretation. The head of gold, what does it mean? Well, look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 38. It simply says, you are this head of gold, unquote. So the, Daniel was talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, remember, at this time. So Daniel is saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold. You know, the thought of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon ever being overthrown seemed out of the question. Such was its wealth at that time 
The prophet Isaiah had previously described Babylon as the golden city. Look at Isaiah chapter 14 verse 4. The city walls were almost 200 feet, which is about 60 meters high, and with enough, and it's wide enough for two chariots to go across right on top. And the gates of the city were made of solid brass, and within the city there seemed to be unlimited resources. The Euphrates River flowed through the city of Babylon, adding to its strength. So the whole inhabitants of the city, when they close the gate, they will be impregnable. No one can conquer them, and they can totally survive on its own because it's water, and there's food in there, there's farming, and there are workers there. They are totally, totally self-sufficient. And to think that they can be conquered is unthinkable at that time. But Daniel did say in verse 39, the next verse in Daniel 2 verse 39, it does says, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Now think about this. Daniel's life is at the whim of King Nebuchadnezzar. If he doesn't like you, he can order your head to be chopped off. And if you say something that he annoys him, he can easily say, off you go and be executed. But Daniel stood his ground and told the truth and told the unsayable truth, if you like. He told the great King Nebuchadnezzar, you will be taken over and more importantly, taken over by an inferior kingdom. Now that is unthought of. Remarkably, Daniel predicted that mighty Babylon will be overthrown by an inferior kingdom. And look at Isaiah. What did Isaiah say? Isaiah 13, chapter 13, verse 19 and 20. It says, God had said Babylon would be overthrown and that it would never again be inhabited. So you have Isaiah predicting similar events to what Daniel had been told. Now, the facts... And these are historical facts that are truth. King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, which is Babylon, ruled the world between 605 BC to 539 BC. It was the combined forces, and this inferior force that killed, uh, that uh, conquered Babylon, was a combined force of the Medes and the Persians. The kingdom that's represented by the chest of silver that overthrew Babylon in the most amazing circumstances. If you like to read about the fall of Babylon, go to Daniel chapter 5. More than 150 years prior to the fall of Babylon, the prophet Isaiah had predicted that a man named Cyrus, and this person was named, overthrew the city of Babylon. Look at Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1 and 2. And what God predicted 150 years ago, before it happened, exactly happened. And it was repeated by Daniel. Now, this is not all. Well, what metal was used to represent the third kingdom? If you remember, the, third, the first kingdom was Babylon, which is the head of gold. The second kingdom was Medo-Persia, which overthrew a weaker kingdom, overthrew Babylon, and they were silver. Now the third kingdom, 
in Daniel's prediction was made of bronze. In Daniel chapter 2 verse 39, it says the third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. Now, Alexander the Great let the Greeks, the Greeks are known for their bronze armory. Alexander the Great led the Greeks to victory over the Medes and Persia in the Battle of Arbella in the year 331 BC. Now this is historical fact. The Jewish historian Josephus documented how Alexander the Great knew his destiny as a result of being shown the prophecies of Daniel. See, Alexander the Great did rely on the Bible for his political purposes. Now this was written by Josephus in the book Antiquities of the Jews in book 11 in chapter 9 in section 5. Now I'd like you to draw back and sit back and think about this. Not only has Isaiah predicted this event that would happen, it confirmed by Daniel at that time and it was also written in confirmation of the historical fact written by a historian, Josephus, who himself is a secular historian. So up till now, all the three kingdoms that was predicted that would come and that would go, which is Babylon, Medo-Persia and Greece, was predicted hundreds of years before it actually happened. And it did happen. Now let's continue. What metal was used to represent the fourth kingdom? Well, if you remember, the first kingdom was Babylon, second one Medo-Persia, the third Greece, and the fourth kingdom was represented by iron. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, it says, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Now this, bear in mind, is a prediction by Daniel. The Iron Monarchy of Rome conquered the Greeks in 168 BC. Now, this is hundreds of years after Daniel had made this prediction. The Romans ruled during the time of Jesus, and this great superpower was dominant for more than 600 years. The long lakes of time resulted in the much persecution of God's people. Now, Rome ruled the world, or the Roman Empire was defined as iron, ruled in 168 BC to 476 AD. We're talking about almost 600 odd years. And this is a historical fact. Again, this fact had happened just as it was predicted by Daniel. Now the interesting part, what happens after the Roman Empire. This is where it gets more and more interesting. Daniel, in Daniel 2, chapter 41 and 42, says this, Where else you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and it continues, so that the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Now, this is very interesting. The Roman Empire was really never conquered, per se, or overthrown, just as Babylon or Medo-Persia or Greece Empire had been overthrown. 
What happened to the Roman Empire? Well, instead of being conquered by another world, ruling empire if you like, Rome would be divided into numerous kingdoms symbolized by the toes on the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now by AD 476, barbarian tribes have conquered Rome and 10 of these tribes de developed into what eventually became today's modern Europe. Now I'd like you to sit back and think about this. Predicted by Daniel hundreds of years before the Roman, Roman Empire imploded, the actual event happened. The Roman Empire essentially imploded into 10 different tribes. In short, the empire became so big, it crumpled under its own weight. Well, what happens? The question might be to say, could a secular Roman Empire, after the Roman Empire had fallen, could it ever exist again? Well, this is the future we're talking about now, future to where we are. Daniel 24, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 43, tells us that, as I quote, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. They will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, what this is saying is, and now we're looking at the history, we're going back to the 1900s, in, the, in spite of multiple attempts by many different leaders in Europe, the Roman Empire has never been reformed and never will be, just as the Bible predicted. People like Charlemagne, Napoleon, Kaiser William II, and Hitler all attempted to unite Europe, but all failed to do so. Even the European Union, as it is now, cannot succeed in reuniting Europe. In today's news, you can see the exit of certain countries from this union, and the latest one is, of course, the United Kingdom. During World War II, certain British preachers drew large crowds by claiming that the Bible taught that Hitler could not possibly be successful in bringing Europe under one banner. This preacher relied on the prophecy of Daniel 2. This preacher was a hundred percent accurate. Europe today is not united. Europe today is fragmented and is leading towards disintegration. The next question then is, what happens after Europe? Well, it is already predicted. Daniel 2 Verse 44, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. In other words, uh, unquote, in other words, after Europe, there will be no more secular group per se. It will be the kingdom or the empire, if you like to call it, set up by the God of Almighty, which is the God of the Bible. Now, Daniel spoke of a stone cut out without hands, unquote, that struck and destroyed the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream 
and grew, and this stone grew until it became a great kingdom that would fill the whole world. And this was Daniel 2, Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, uh, 20, 34 and 35. This stone that had struck and destroyed the entire image represents Jesus Christ, who will ultimately sweep away the kingdoms of the earth at his return. Christ's second advent. A stone or a rock is a symbol often used in association with Jesus. Look at Psalms 89 verse 26 or Matthew verse 16, uh, chapter 16 verse 18. Jesus was represented by the smitten rock from which flowed water for all the Israel. The rock in which Moses hid himself and the rock upon which the wise men built his house. This is in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, or Exodus chapter 33, verse 22, and Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. In addition, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Unquote. Now, the Bible predicts that it will be Jesus not any other major countries in the world, not any of the secular countries in the world, who will set his, king, his kingdom and ultimately rule the world. It would be Jesus Christ, the kingdom of our Lord. There will be a fifth world empire after Europe. The empire, the, this empire will be ruled by the king of kings and this King of Kings will create a kingdom of peace that will last forever and ever. Well, then some may ask, well, you may ask, what happened to the earthly kingdoms when God finally sets up his kingdom on earth? Well, this is also predicted in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. It says, I quote, this earthly kingdom, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. In other words, the stone, God's kingdom, strikes the statue at his feet, indicating that Jesus will come during the time of the divided nations. Jesus will come at a time where there's turmoil, where there's uncertainty, where there's great division. The kingdoms of this world will be destroyed. Secular kingdoms will be destroyed when Jesus comes. Just as all the previous aspects of the prophecy have been perfectly fulfilled, so it will be that Jesus will soon return and establish his eternal kingdom. You know, as I said earlier in this study and this lesson, that 80% of the predictions in the Bible had come true. One prediction that rests in the balance of the 20% is that Jesus will come again and he will set up his kingdom here. And when 80% of them has come through, the chances of the balance of the 20% coming through is very, very, very high, which means that Jesus' second coming is almost assured. Now, what happens to Nebuchadnezzar when he hears all that? I mean, what would you react to if you were the king Nebuchadnezzar? Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. King Nebuchadnezzar says, Truly your God is the God of all gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. Unquote. Now this is the idol worshipper 
finally realizing who the God Almighty is. When Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel's God could remember the forgotten dream and at the same time interpret that dream and tell the future, he knew Nebuchadnezzar, of course, knew that this was the true God, not all the other idol gods that he was worshipping. And this was a God who would not only created secrets, but also revealed them. And then King Nebuchadnezzar realized that this truly is the God who is in charge. So in summary, before we finish, there are three takeaway points I would like you to remember after this lesson. The first point is God has ultimate control over the world, over our natural world and that we are limit to and we are living in the last days of earth history and number three God's new kingdom will be coming soon and it will last forever so now that you've heard this one prediction amongst hundreds of predictions that's come through but perhaps this is the biggest biggest prediction ever the Bible demonstrate the Bible in itself has demonstrated that God can be trusted. There you go. The question I would ask you, listener, is are you willing to tell God you trust Him and that you would like to know more about Him and you would want to know more about His plans for you in your life? If you do, and I'm sure you will, Say yes in your own heart and yes to the Lord that I trust you. Amen and God bless.